Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Sound Bites. Um, I'm really excited about our next guest. I'm actually excited slash terrified. Um, if you guys are watching this podcast, you'll see why. On today's episode, we have Andrea Tabor. She is a partner and head of accounts at 3Post. It's a creative studio based in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, she's also my twin sister, so super excited to have her on. I know everything I think there is to know, but maybe I'll be surprised today. I'm really excited to have you on. Andrea, welcome. Hi. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yes, I have all the dirt on Lauren. So if anyone wants to email me after this podcast, you can get all the details. Wow. Wow. We're starting. We are starting really hot, really (laughs) early. But um, please don't take her up on that. I (laughs) I don't have much of a reputation to uphold, so maybe it's just get that out of the way now. But thanks for being on and thanks for joining us. I know Derek and I are super excited to have you. Um, so really the first question is like, tell us a little bit about your background. Tell everybody else about your background and where you came from and how you got started. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, when it comes to like marketing, um, you know, I started off on the client side right out of college. I had my marketing degree and I was excited to kind of get that first office job. So, um, I decided to work on the client side. I worked in an internal marketing department at a home services company, HVAC company up in DC. So I did that for a couple of years. Um, it was a really hands-on job. You know, we were a small team of two. Um, so I got to do a lot of stuff. I got to, you know, get my hands dirty in a lot of different things and that's honestly what I loved about it. Um, and then after the DC rat race for a couple of years, I was kind of just ready to get back to North Carolina and not be in traffic for hours of my life. And so, um, you know, I'd heard about um, some creative studios in Raleigh and applied for one, sold all my stuff in a matter of a month and was uh, living on Lauren's couch for about <laughs> six months when I kind of made that transition over to um, the creative agency side. So I did that for a couple of years. And, you know, what I really liked about it was that I always saw myself as someone who was like creative adjacent, right? I'm not someone who has like the technical skills or the kind of artistic skills as someone you would think of as being a creative, but I always just felt like I had a good eye and I liked being surrounded by creative people. And so that's what was really enticing about moving kind of away from the client side where typically you are seen as the creative, right? And then I always wanted to be surrounded by people who are a lot better than I was. And so that's kind of what was the pull toward working on the creative side. And so I did that for a couple of years. And I guess, you know, at a larger agency, just out of necessity, you tend to be really siloed. You tend to, you know, if you're on accounts, that's what you're doing. You're sending emails, you're, you know, looking at timelines, you're kind of cracking the whip with creatives and, you know, getting mad at them for not getting things done on time. And, um, I liked that because, you know, I got to kind of be around those creative folks. But what I really longed for was a lot of what I got at my first job, which was getting to do a lot of different things, having Mm -hmm. my hands on a lot of different projects and wearing multiple hats. And I just didn't feel like I was able to do that at the kind of larger agency that I was at. Um, And so when I heard about, um, you know, just through I had a series of kind of uh, connections at 3Post before I went over there. So when I heard about them, you know, they were this small team of creatives who were putting out work that was just as good as the larger agency that I was at. And so, you know, that, that was interesting to me. I'm like, how, how is this small team like doing really great work? And 
how can I be part of it? Uh, so, you know, I kind of just bothered them and pestered them to the point where they eventually just agreed to meet with me. Um, and I convinced them that they needed an account person to kind of create some processes, create, um, you know, a little bit of structure. Um, you know, the original owners of three posts were two creatives who, you know, hadn't heard of a timeline, didn't care about timesheets. Honestly, <laughs> budgets weren't really a thing. They were just kind of guessing how much projects um, should cost. And I thought there was a need there. And so after about a year of hustling and just begging them to hire me, they eventually did. And, you know, that was eight years ago. So, um, you know, just through like kind of like this series, <laughs> series of events, um, I eventually kind of rose to a leadership position there. And um, I like to say I became kind of an accidental entrepreneur, whereas, you know, now I went from kind of being the lone account manager to now being a partner and kind of like head of accounts over here at Three Post. And so that is my long winded story. That is how I ended up at Three Post. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's really awesome. That's really great. That's a really great background, really great transition. And again, like you're probably the person that maybe doesn't have creative cloud on their computer, but make sure everyone that's using that suite is getting the best products out to the customer and meeting their needs, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not the person kind of fiddling around in Premiere or anything like that. Um, but you know, I, I like to think that I uh, I add a little something just by making sure, you know, people have what they need, clients have what they need, the creatives on my team have what they need and are kind of ready to go for sure. And I will say you're selling yourself short. So I get to talk you up, which is more exciting than talking about myself. But you honestly do a lot of creative concepting for most for a lot of your clients and you write a lot of scripts. You're a very strong writer. And so you get to, to your point, flex a lot of your muscles that you didn't get to at the smaller agency, even to this day, right? You're still... A small shop, you work with huge clients because that's a testament to how skilled you guys are, but you are still like a working co, you know, you know, part owner of the business. So, well, and that's, again, that's what was exciting. Oh yeah. Right. But you know, that's what was exciting to me about kind of getting out of that larger agency and getting the three posts is that, you know, I wanted to do more. I didn't just kind of want to be writing emails and looking at timelines. You know, I still do a lot of that. Just, you know, it's the nature of being in a small business. You have to wear a lot of hats, but I wanted to play a more important role. I feel like I did have kind of something to offer from, you know, even though I don't see myself as a creative, I knew I had, you know, a little bit of something to offer there from like a writing perspective or just from a strategy perspective, you know, bring a little bit of that to the table. Whereas, you know, at a larger agency, they just don't really, they don't, they don't need someone like me to do that. Right. Um, so here I could kind of create three posts, mold three posts into be something, um, you know, whatever we wanted it to be. Whereas, you know, at, at a larger agency, that's already set up. You're kind of just a cog in the wheel. And um, I wanted to, you be don't really get a say that. in like the culture development and like the right. business strategy side of things. Yeah. Well, and that's something too. Like I, I remember like when I was at an agency, you know, I'd write these emails and it, I was, you know, very focused on like sounding like what I thought the clients wanted to hear. And now it's like, you know, when a client works with three posts, I can kind of be authentically me. Um, because we are three posts, right? So we can have like the funny jokes, the terrible puns, the kind of like silliness, the human element that when you work for a larger agency, you just, you don't get to kind of bring that out. And that I mean, was, they wouldn't was be your cost. They wouldn't be your client had they had a problem with that. Right. They kind of know what they're getting. <laughs> yeah. We like to say we're the agency that you want to have a beer with at the end of the project, right? Like when 
clients work with us, you know, they're, they're doing things that are outside of what they normally do. Um, and so we like to think of like working with us should be like a break. Like it should be the fun part of your job. You're creating a video, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of stepping away from what you normally do to create something that is inherently fun. Right. So we, we want it to feel that way when you work with us, we don't want it to feel stodgy and kind of like just uptight and boring. Like we want it to be a fun experience and we want our clients to feel like not clients, but honestly like partners and hopefully eventually friends, which, you know, that's happened with a number of our clients. We consider them friends. We've worked with them for almost 10 years, you know? And the outcomes you get are so much better in that situation, right? Like I think a lot of agencies, a lot of creative partners, what they do is they'll, they'll end up focusing on what can I do just in, within the scope or within the bounds of this project, deliver that verbatim, push it aside and then on to the next thing. But when you develop your relationships like that, what you all do is you build these strategies, you build these relationships, you really understand your end customer's business, and then you find ways to deliver even better, more creative solutions that really answer things even beyond the scope. Oh, 100%. Our goal is always to build up enough trust with our partner. Whereas rather than, you know, them saying, hey, we want a video, it needs to look like this. In fact, here's an example of exactly what we want it to look like. It's probably a whiteboard animation. Um, here's here's what we want you to create. Um, but, you know, our goal is for them to trust us enough to where they say, hey, here's the thing that we're trying to promote. Can you come up with a really cool idea for it? Um, and they trust us to come up with a cool idea and run with that, right? Um, and, and so that's what we, that's our end goal with our partners. It's not just to kind of like have them dictate ideas to us, but for them to trust us enough to come up with some really cool ideas for them. So in addition to all that, you call <laughs> yourself um, sort of an accidental entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, what about your background sort of maybe made that a more natural fit or something that is wasn't so accidental or maybe something that felt more natural to you? I think you mean our background, actually. No. <laughs> I'm just the interviewer here. Yeah, I'm just trying to seem very impartial and third party, you know? Yeah. You know what? And I know that the, the person that I'll be talking about will probably be listening to this. But, you know, we grew up like with a dad who was um, an entrepreneur, you know, like he started his own construction business when we were little kids. And so we grew up, you know, watching him do that. You know, I think he tried to kind of... Um, dip his toe into the corporate world, but he never really loved it as much as he did kind of running his own business, you know, uh, doing things on his terms. And so I grew up honestly thinking I'll never be an entrepreneur. I don't want to do that. Um, it's something I always fought internally. I, I saw the sacrifice. I saw the hard work. And I think the level of uncertainty that comes with an entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur was something that was always a little bit scary to me. Um, and so I always thought it would be something that I would never do. I saw myself like going to an office, kind of like clocking in and then, you know, just having that typical um, job or career. But um, I think becoming an accidental entrepreneur is probably no accident at all, to be honest. I think that, you know, having seen that my entire life, it was probably something that I was always um, going to do. So thanks, Dad. I did it because of you. <laughs> What's really funny is, is you talk about the uncertainty, right? Like entrepreneurship on the on the surface feels like there's uncertainty. It feels like it's like kind of walking without a safety net. Feels like you're losing that security. But when you really unpack it, um, really, it just all that information becomes exposed to you. Where at your corporate job, you're insulated from it. That's right? correct. Like all of that risk and uncertainty is still there. You just don't get yeah. to see it, right? Your yeah. flashlight isn't pointed in the direction. You can't see the monsters. But when you're when you're outside of that environment, all of that is exposed to you. Um, mm -hmm. But it just feels, in the beginning, it feels a lot scarier than it actually is until you get used to it. 
That's right. No, that's totally right. Like when I, when I kind of like think back about my, you know, my time at, you know, other, other places, I mean, those jobs could have ended at any point, right? You just, you don't get to see it coming, right? You don't, you don't see it coming when you, when you kind of work, um, when you don't work for yourself, you know, right now, like I know the trajectory of three, but I know what's going on exactly. I know when we really need to kind of like step it up and make sure that we're doing new biz development and and things like that. Um, so it's actually more empowering, you know, to kind of see what's coming and to know what's, you know, what's going on in your business. And to be able to do something about it. Right. Right. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Like if you're just kind of like working, uh, you know, at an agency or working on the, in the client side, like you don't know, you know, your, your fate is in somebody else's hands. Whereas, you know, it's, there's a lot that's empowering about being an entrepreneur. It's um, when you're playing video games as a kid, this might not resonate with too many people, but when you have like a younger (laughs) sibling and you give them the remote, that's not plugged in. And like, it looks like they're playing and it looks like they're actually playing on the screen, but they're not really, really doing it. I feel like that's probably a good analogy there. Did we ever do that, Lauren? Did we ever, we probably were, we probably have our brother may have tricked us a few yeah. times playing we probably We thought we were, yeah, we thought yeah. we were winning. We were not. We yeah. were not we weren't involved. Um, well, has anything, has anything surprised you about, you know, being a business owner and maybe something you didn't expect in a good and maybe a negative way? Yeah. I mean, as far, I think it surprised me how much I I liked it. You know, like I, I, again, like this is probably kind of similar to what we were just talking about, but I never thought I would like it. You know, I never thought I would like the pressure uh, that comes along with kind of running your own business. And now I honestly can't see myself. Like when I, when I close my eyes and think about what it would be like to work at a company again, it's, it's, I don't know. It's just, I, I can't see myself kind of going back there. Um, so I think that surprises me. I think, you know, how much I enjoy it and how much, um, how rewarding it's really been has been super surprising to me. Yeah. I think one of the things recently that be that's surprising to me about it, all that stuff, but how hard it is to actually hire somebody. Like yes. when you have to go through like the state, like not, not just like the recruiting aspect of it, but like all of the legal <laughs> red tape that you have to go through to hire somebody that, that blows me away, but unrelated. I also think like your first hire is always hard. And that's something that like our first full-time hire, we work with a lot of folks um, from a contract perspective, but like, how do we, what is our first real hire and how are we going to make that impact? I know Andrew, we struggle with this. Like, do we have the time to train these people? Like, do I have the bandwidth to even bring somebody in, which is so short sighted, but it's a real thing when you're just like, I'm barely sleeping now. And now I have to train somebody. (laughs) I think what I struggle with when I think about like, um, bringing on someone else is honestly my own expectations for that person is kind of, Mm. you know, wanting to find someone who wants to work as hard as I do, who cares as much about three posts as I do, you know, finding someone who's willing to do all the different things that, that I did, you know, when I kind of came onto three posts and, and that I do now. And, um, you know, just, understanding that no one will love three post as much as I do. And as much as Michael does, um, and just understanding that I, I can't expect that of them. And maybe that, mm-hmm. per- <laughs> maybe that person is. So it's like really my own expectations of what I want uh, or things that I kind of struggle with there, but you're right to like the bandwidth of bringing on someone new and integrating them into the culture and making sure they were a good fit. Because when you're a company of our size, you know, it's that first hire is so important and making sure that it's a good fit is so important important that you feel like if you pick the wrong person, it's kind of catastrophic. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's something we think about a lot. Really, you got a couple options, right? Like when we talk about this a lot, you can hire somebody that's a, almost a clone of you so they can offload some of your stuff or it's Lauren, like, are you, you looking for a job? 
Speaking of, we, are, we do partner on a lot of stuff together. So kind of like halfway there already. But that's one way to get capacity, right? Like you can yeah. try and find someone that has similar skill sets to you so you can copy paste and, and, and keep running. And then the other one is like, find somebody that does one of the things you do just really, really well and yes. let that person just crush those tasks. And it's always that fine balance of what direction do you go depending on what the needs right. are. And back to your point of like abstracting uncertainty like at any point, if one project, two projects, three projects dry up, how do you keep that person going? How do you keep yes. that person's funnel filled? It's a lot so getting that keeps you up at night. I'm sweating. I'm sweating thinking about this. I, I don't know. You give me anxiety a little bit. <laughs> anxiety is <laughs> going through the roof. Um, well, tell it, I want to switch gears a little bit and ask about, you know, the types of content that you produce hmm. and the types of con- yeah. clients that you work with. Like you work with pretty large tech companies, that's one big, uh, you know, vertical for y'all. What sort of things are they expecting from a video perspective and how has that changed over time? Yeah. So, you know, we're a full service creative studio. So that means that we're doing everything from coming up with concepts to, um, you know, shooting if it's live action or, you know, kind of doing the middle part in there for animation and then fully executing um, these pieces. And so we take projects from beginning to end. Um, You know, we do work with, you know, a lot of you know, just kind of based on where we are here in uh, Raleigh, Durham, Triangle Park. you know, we work with a lot of those companies. We work with the Toshibas, we work with Lenovo, Red Hat, all those fun folks. And so um, I think that, you know, what's expected really depends on the client. And I think that because we're a smaller boutique agency, um, we can really create those unique experiences for our client and based on that project, right? So, um, but I think in general, what a client is looking for when they come to us is that they're able to kind of give us, you know, their needs, their wants, what they're looking to kind of get out of this video and understanding that we're going to be able to come up with a concept um, that is that helps them achieve those goals, helps helps them kind of like get to the client to do that next step. Um, I don't know if that really answered what you guys were asking <laughs> as far as I think it does. I, I'm also super curious, like you've been with 3Post for eight years, like is the content that you're creating okay. now different, you know, from what you were working on back then and maybe how has that evolved over time? I mean, certainly, you know, like we work in the, in a creative, you know, field where things are changing all the time. Styles are changing all the time. What, what's popular is changing all the time. I would say, you know, when I first came to three posts, we were probably 80% live action footage. So, you know, going out on shoots with our cameras and then, you know, doing, you know, video edits, um, and probably 20% uh, animation, right? So we weren't doing a ton of like these 2D, 3D animations. Um, whereas, you know, thanks to COVID, you know, that was a big push. Um, but also just in recent years, like animation has really taken, um, a lot bigger chunk of our, um, of our business. So we're doing a lot more of those 2D, 3D, um, animations right now. And, um, I would say, you know, the quality of our work has changed a lot. You know, we've all got kind of gotten better. And so we, we make that like a really big focus for us where we're always kind of like seeking out like what's popular, what's trendy, how are, how are, what are some trends in animation? How are things being shot? Always trying to grow and make sure that, you know, when people come to three posts, yes, we're not the biggest team, but they're going to get high quality work that doesn't cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars, unless you have that budget and we will gladly take that money. (laughs) But, you know, I think that because we can keep our overhead low, because we're a small team and because we all do a lot, we're able to give folks really high quality pieces um, without kind of like these astronomical budgets. 
yeah, being lean and being able to rapidly make impactful things that are strategic yeah. is really important. And like over the last eight years, you think about it, the expectation of quality has kind of gone bimodal, right? Like on one end, right. like production value has been way higher. Even stuff like you just put on YouTube, like really high production value. And on the other side, you have like the user generated content look and feel. I know y'all have done a lot of that kind of activity, which is really, really engaging too, right? But like everything in that middle space um, kind of gets lost now. It's either gotta be like super, super high end or it has to be user generated almost to have that feel. Mm Yeah. And I think that's what's, you know, I, I kind of like that. I like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not all kind of like broadcast TV pieces and it's not all these kind of like, you know, YouTube style pieces. I, I like that there's variety in there. I think it keeps us sharp. It keeps us, um, you know, kind of um, on top of our game as far as like trying to anticipate what's what's popular, what clients needs. And, you know, I think, again, because we're small, because we're nimble, we can adapt um, to, to client needs and different production levels for, for different budgets. So I like that. Well, how do you combat people who they all have an iPhone? You know, I work, we work with a lot of clients. They're like, this is HD right here. So why don't you just like put this on a tripod and shoot? Or why don't I just do it? How do you, you know, really articulate your value prop at a time where everyone thinks they're a photographer, everyone thinks they can shoot video and they, you know, they're all directors now. Yeah, that that's that's always a challenge, right? I mean, people see these uh, commercials that say "shot on an iPhone," and then kind of like what they don't see. Whereas if they if if they just kind of like looked behind, um, it's this huge rig that you know <laughs> that, that this iPhone is on, and it's all the additional equipment that was required in order to make that shot look good. They see the lighting from the gaffer, you see the jib that it was on, right? And so I, you know, it, it's really difficult. I think that we what we'll, we would try to do, and what we do in the situation where this comes up is really sell the value of working with us, not just because, um, you know, we can hold a camera better than they can, but that when they work with us, they're getting a great concept. They're getting a strong crew, folks that we've worked with for a really long time. And we're able to kind of give more value to them just because they're working with us. Right. Like, and, and I also invite them to try to shoot it on an iPhone and see how difficult it really is because it's not really the camera that makes the video great. It's how it's shot. It's the planning that went into it. It's all the pre-production, all the, all the kind of details that clients don't have the time to kind of really invest in that. So. And storytelling is an art. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Really but like, even if they have the right tools, like you can put the right tools in anyone's hands and being able to actually tell an effective story that's going to get the message across and get the outcome. Like it's hard. It's really, really hard. I mean, y'all could give me like a spatula and a pan and I still can't cook anything. So just to really circle back to yeah. one skill set and that's doing this podcast. That's not true. Anyways. Again, you're being too hard on yourself. <laughs> so I need to go ahead and let everyone know that Lauren can cook at least an egg. With a spatula in a pan. That's right. I have advanced to the egg stage. Cooking Correct. an egg is actually difficult, depending it is. on method. That's right. Guys, I've really structure. scrambled this combo, so. <laughs> Derailed. We're just beating a dead horse so, now. So, Andrea, do you have the same love of puns as your sister? That- I do. And I honestly think that that's an inherited trait from our dad. We were spitting that pun game. When we're all together in a room, we're pretty insufferable. So, um, yeah, you don't want to be around our table at Thanksgiving. You do not. Yeah, want to be no one wants to be at the taper table. <laughs> so that randomly reminds me: Did you end up receiving the uh, the business end of the wrath of the missing Tushkin? I did. I was accused, and I was accused of stealing the Tushkin. 
But we might have to cut this because there's like five yeah. people in the whole world that cares <laughs> yeah. about the skin. Or no, it's it's toward the back of the podcast. It's fun. Yeah, Liz Liz Clark, a former guest, she might know what the Tushkin is. That's about it. That's about it. Yeah, it's very specific. Like even even a Google search, it won't pull it up. Like I, I attempted, I tried. (laughs) Just don't. It's a definitely a very regional thing for (laughs) y'all. I invite people to research and then again reach out. Lauren wrote a titillating. a story about it in the newspaper, our high school newspaper that we were co-editors and chiefs on. <laughs> so to, to yeah, rapidly yeah. bring this to rapidly bring <laughs> this back, when your ideal projects, you guys do a lot yes, of really interesting work across a lot of interesting projects. What are your ideal ones? What are the ones when you really deliver them? You're like, man, that was that was awesome. We had a lot of fun with that beginning to end. You know what? I was just thinking about this. We just worked on one with our, it was about a year ago. It feels like it was not that long ago, but um, it was for one of our longtime clients, Cree Lighting, one that you guys might know pretty well. Um, And it was for one of their, it was for one of their light fixtures. And, um, you know, what we ended up doing was creating this really fun scripted piece where we personified a light fixture and created this whole kind of like, if you think about um, cars, from, from Pixar, it, it had that whole kind of like vibe to it. And and what I loved about it was, you know, we've worked with this client for a really long time. We've worked with Cree, Cree for almost 10 years. They're one of our first clients. And what I loved about it is they said, hey, we have this new product. What What's something that we can do with it? And they that's all they gave us. And we came up with this really zany, out of the box, you know, just crazy idea. And they said, we love it. Run with it. Um, and they let us really like, they took a chance on us and they let us, you know, execute something that maybe a lot of, of my clients wouldn't really give us the runway to do. Um, and, it, and it turned out so great. It's one of the pieces that I'm most proud of. Um, and it's just something really different and really unique. And they let us take it from beginning to end. And so that that's my favorite kind of project where a client trusts us to do something that maybe isn't the most straightforward. Um hmm. You know, those those always end up being the best, in my opinion. And we'll link yeah. to that video just so everyone can yeah. see because it's one of my favorites. Oh my too. gosh, thank you. Yes, it was so much fun. Um, talking light fixtures. I mean, come on. I didn't think I'd ever get to make that video. <laughs> and it was just it was so much fun. And and that's the kind of and I think what was the most rewarding about that was that, you know, we built up that trust with Cree that they believed in us and they trusted us to do something really different. And that just yeah. feels so good. That is the most rewarding thing. And I mean, the number of clicks and then, you know, how, how well it did for them is certainly rewarding, but just knowing that they trusted us to do something really different, it, it feels really good. Yeah. Like a client, you, you probably didn't, this is a John Madden statement, but a client, you didn't have that trust built up. You throw that idea out and they might be like, eh, I don't think so. This is the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's like anything, right? You gotta, you kind of have to build that trust and maybe do some of the projects, maybe surprise them with some projects that you weren't so excited about to really get that equity there to do something great. Yeah. And usually when we start with clients, it's like, we don't, you know, we, we don't have that equity. We don't have that trust there. And so the, that's where kind of my, my role is, is really important in as far as client services is, you know, 
creating that rapport, creating that trust, getting them to feel really good about working with us, and then obviously delivering a really high-end product at the end of the project. Um, so that when they come back to us next time, maybe they give us just a little bit more leeway. Maybe they let us take a little bit more of a chance, you know, with the with the style. Um, and that's, you know, that's been the trajectory for a lot of our clients that we've worked with for several years. And, you know, they now they come to us and they say, hey, what does three post think? Great. Let's come. I think that's great. And I think another thing that's been interesting is besides making great quality products with, you know, really great strategic vision behind them. I think now more than ever, especially like from like 2020 till now being data driven in this area is becoming more and more and more and more important. Just the creative concept, having a great idea and executing it is one thing, but I think people are just demanding the outcome, the results. And with that same client, I think one of the pieces of content you did continues to deliver ROI for them, right? It's a how-to series that you did. And so they see (laughs) the production value versus the delivery. And it's like that kind of thing will get you even more equity to get more projects and do more things outside the lines, right? Yeah. And when I look forward to what I want 3Post to be, um, kind of in this new data-driven era, it is really, you know, we want to be an agency that puts a lot of emphasis on data. I think that, you know, again, you know, when 3Post started, it, it was two creatives who just, that wasn't even in the realm of possibility as far as like having metrics or collecting data and making creative decisions based on that. Um, and where I really want to see us going is becoming an agency that is really integrated with their clients from a data perspective so that, you know, we're not just creating videos that we hope someone will watch. Like, what is the point of creating a video that just kind of goes to YouTube or Facebook purgatory and lives there forever and no one sees it? Mm-hmm. So I think that when when we think about like where we want to take three posts, it's that we're creating great content, cool creative content that is backed by data so that people will watch it. People will click on it. Not just because, you know, I want three posts to be awesome and get that notoriety, but you know, if we're not creating results for our clients, like why would they hire us? Right. People want those tangible results. And you know, that, so that's going to be really important for us moving forward. When you did all the brand ID for, um, you worked on a project with Scatter, right? You did all their brand, their visual ID and brand ID. And that ended up being data driven as well. Like you guys spent a lot of time focusing on who's the persona type, who are we trying to resonate with? What color palette is here? What fonts to use? And like all that data driven approach really delivered massive results. Like when we ended up testing that out, like rip the skin off the ball, like not a single person even was like, "Eh, it's fine. It was like, everybody loved it, which was great. So fantastic. And I also, uh, you know, coming from the client side, I think when you said something that was really interesting, it's like, well, why would we even make content if it's not going to work for our clients? But I've certainly worked with agencies from larger, you know, that are, that are larger, they create content because they want to win awards. It's not really kind of like Mad Men days. It's not really because they care about the metrics of the clients. Like they just want something that looks really cool in their portfolio. They can put on their website and get an addy for, you know, they'll win an addy. And like for me, as somebody who worked at companies who were really large, but had to be very data driven because they were run by engineers who, you know, they lived (laughs) in spreadsheets and cared about numbers, um, that wasn't going to fly, especially when like the last company I worked with, it was an e-commerce business. We needed to show some level of return on that ad spend. And so working with a lot larger company or agencies, I had to, I had to say like, I need to see some sort of data. I need to understand like that we're tracking this to see if it's successful and having to push them was always a challenge and not something I always had the bandwidth for. So it's great to know that you have that mindset going and say like, Hey, we need to make sure that you're making money off of this because if you're not making money, 
we won't be making money. You know, <laughs> like it's yeah. it's all very dependent on one another. We totally. Were and, you know, them. I, oh, go ahead. No, no, go for it. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, I think that in our space, those awards become like very coveted, whereas I could never win another award. And I mean, I don't even know the last time we like submitted ourselves to win an award because it's so not important to me. Like the most rewarding thing that, you know, I get at the end of a project is a client saying, we got X amount of leads or we had so many people reach out to us and say they love that video, right? Mm -hmm. That's the reward. <laughs> I mean, and you know, in our business, it's like, yes, like you can be creating cool things. You can be creating like art, but at the end of the day, I want it to be art that serves the goals of the, of the client, of the partner. I mean, it means nothing if that's not being achieved, nothing. And I think the mood is shifting in that direction. We are talking with Jenna yeah. from Ford and it's like, you know, 10 years ago, it was like, if you could win a Cannes Lion, like you were crushing it, you're going to be on the cover of ad week. Yeah. And it was awesome. That, that was the pinnacle. Now, like those might be beautiful and might be creative and clever, but if they don't convert with the end target market, you vaporized a lot of money. So yeah. it's like, how can you make experiences that actually convert based on that investment you're making? And a lean agencies are going to be winning this battle versus larger, slower ones that are trying to get awards. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I mean, that's definitely where we want to go. I think that there are some challenges kind of in that though, as far as like the, the clients that we work with, like when we partner with larger agency or larger companies on projects, you know, a lot of times they have that internal team that is um, kind of, that has all that data and has all the, those metrics that maybe they don't always really want to share with, you know, with us as far as, you know, to help us kind of like make those decisions, right? Like that's something that we struggle with a lot is, you know, those internal teams, they have all the data, but maybe they don't want to share it, or maybe they don't know how to mm -hmm. distill it down in a way that we can actually use. And so kind of working with those internal teams can be a challenge. And then, you know, when I think about working with smaller companies who are very hungry to create content, but maybe have a limited budget, they don't really want to take any of that budget and put it toward, you know, doing the work to figure out what's going to actually work with that for them for from a data perspective. They don't want to do the audits. They don't want to do any of the, They don't want to take any money out of the video creation budget to do those things. And so those are things that we are kind of constantly trying to navigate um, sure. as we move into that whole data driven perspective or you know, vibe. So on that note, what do you think the, the, the next five years look like? Mm. What, what is the future of this industry, the future of content creation, the future of marketing strategy? What, what does that look like for you? You know, I think for us, we're really lucky in that, you know, people are wanting video more and more. Um, and so while I don't know that I have my finger on the pulse of like, you know, specifics as far as like what exactly the industry is going to look like, what I know is that people are wanting video, people are watching videos more and more, people are reading less, which as a bookworm, that, that makes me very sad. Like I'm sad that people aren't, aren't reading, but as someone who runs a creative studio, I love it. I love that video has become kind of this main form of communication for, for companies. And so I know that the demand is there. And, um, you know, when I think about how three posts is going to be in five years, I think that as long as we kind of grab onto that opportunity and lead with, you know, being the creative studio that isn't just kind of creating pretty things, but is creating pretty things with, you know, some stats in mind and some data behind us. I, I think that, you know, there, the, the possibilities are kind of endless. Creating meaningful things is probably the most right. important takeaway. I was going to say, I was going to say, Dirk, because I think like when there is such a demand for it, I think AI, machine learning, all that stuff, it's like, 
ripe for some sort of like intervention there, some sort of tool or whatever that's going to make it easier for, you know, maybe computers to make videos or something, right? Oh, there's, I hope there's, not. Yeah, there's a few platform. No, there's a few platforms that are that are helping some of the production process, but for things like TikTok, for rapid, quick user-generated right. content, I think to tell like a really good, like we talked about earlier, even with the right tools, if you don't know how to build a strategy, think about what your outcome is and build a cohesive storyline that really is engaging, you're going to struggle. And you look at how engaging video is right now. Like that's why YouTube does so well. Instagram has shifted their whole platform to be focused really on video, like TikTok taking over the world. It's a video platform and companies need Mm -hmm. to meet all these people where they are and it's consuming really engaging video content. I think that's right. And I think what we're trying to say is that Nano Chomp and Three Post will be forming a um, super company. And yeah, (laughs) we will be taking over the world. We were talking with your friend, just was it it yesterday? We were talking to your Mm -hmm. friend, Adam, and he has the Avengers initiative, right? He wants to get all the different groups together. And, you know, I'm kind of a, I feel bad that I didn't come up with that, but we were calling it like Voltron. You get all the right pieces come together, but that's just dating myself, right? That's a, yeah. We're very, we're much younger than Derek, so we don't know what he's talking about. (laughs) But I think that makes sense. Oh. oh, sorry. Go ahead, Derek. I was going to do an amazing transition, but okay, I'm ready sorry, for I it. I completely interrupted it. We'll jump cut this so it comes out great. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I was going to say, speaking of younger, um, we like to ask this question to everybody who we you know, subject to being on the podcast. Um, if you could have dinner with the 18-year-old version or 25-year-old version, both of which I know very well, what would you say <laughs> to that person? <laughs> Maybe let's do my my answer and your answer, what you would say to me. Um, (laughs) You know, what would you say? What advice would you give? Um, I did think about this one. I think that what I would say to both the 18 and 25 version and current version of me, I think just, you know, um, to be patient. I think that when I was at both of those ages and something that I still struggle with till this, to this day is kind of living in the moment. I think that I really struggle with, um, you know, always kind of like looking forward, wanting to get to that next step very quickly. Um, you know, kind of hurrying through life. I think that's something that I've been (laughs) challenged with my entire life. When I was in high school, I couldn't wait to get to college. When I was in college, couldn't wait to get into the real world. And even now I'm always kind of like looking to see what's next rather than maybe like enjoying the moment. And I think that, Mm. um, there's a chance that I miss some really good things when I'm like that. So I'm always working on being present and being patient, I think is what I would tell myself then and now. Lauren, what would you tell me? You knew me. I was going to say, I was, I think Derek would tell me both of those things now. So that's more twins than we, yeah, than we give ourselves credit for. Um, yeah, I would say patience. And also I think you are like a very serious student and very serious employee. So maybe allowing yourself to have a little more fun and know that you're going to do great and be really successful and not put so much pressure on yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Great advice. I should take that. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's such a a weird thing. Like when you're 25, you just think, you know, I got to focus. I have to do all this work. I have to do heads down. I have to be always available. And yes. you get so burned out. And then you, again, you, your point, you miss just so much. Like I remember times where I'd, I'd be in places that I absolutely shouldn't be working. And I was yeah. on a phone trying to solve a problem from, you know, the other side of the world doing something. And I look back and like, 
that was stupid as hell because I completely <laughs> violated everyone else's expectations that was sitting right around me. That was like yeah. expecting me to be there. And I look back at that and like, I'll, you never have that opportunity again. And not to jump too far into books, but there's like a bunch of Japanese philosophy on like Wabi Sabi, like Ikikai. And it's all about like this moment is you're never going to get it back. Right. You, yeah. Even if you try to recreate it, that one is still gone. And yeah. I think about that a lot now. I think you're right. And it's really easy. It, it is easy for me to kind of like look back and kind of just be like, oh God, why did I waste that time? Instead of now what I try to do is just say, I'm recognizing it now and I still have, God willing, all this time in front of me. So how can I kind of like learn from that and make the most of it? And again, just chill out a little. Maybe I need to chill out a little bit. That's kind of what I'm saying. I just need to smell the roses. <laughs> I like it. Snidge. So we touched books really quickly. But what yes. media are you listening to besides the stuff you create? So what books, podcasts, yes. um, oh movies, what if, all that? Hit us with it. This is, this is a challenge. Lauren knows I'm – we are big media consumers, mm-hmm. Lauren and I. We, we talk about mm-hmm. this all the time. Um, we're audiophiles. We watch too much. We have background shows. It's bad. Like, But, um, okay, what did we – I know Lauren and I – or I don't know if she's done with this yet, but we just finished The 90s by Chuck Klosterman, which was great. I really enjoyed that. It was it was a cool retrospective. Um, I'm I'm in the middle of Man's Search for Meaning, which is very mm, good. Great I'm really enjoying that so far. That's very it's it's yeah. That's a, that's a nice one to kind of like listen to in the morning when I need a break from politics or current events. That is a nice thing to recenter me. Um, big into podcasts. So I I have some that I listen to. Lauren knows I'm always kind of like bouncing around between the podcasts. I would say there are some that I don't miss. Um, I love Mike Rose podcast. He is, he reminds me a lot of my dad. (laughs) And so, and he's just like a very, like, who doesn't love Mike Rose voice? He's very calming and I enjoy his perspective. Um, and I also always listen to my buddy, Mike Doyle's podcast. This was the scene because it really uh, takes me back to um, this pop punk music era that I love so much, which is like the late 90s, early 2000s. And so that podcast really digs into that. And it's just, it's such a nice break from current events and uh, the news. And so I really like kind of uh, going back to, back to those times where I wasn't so obsessed with those things. Got so it. yeah. But yes, as far as my music, I'm always kind of stuck in that late 90s to early 2000s uh, pop punk scene. So if you see me driving down the road, that is 100% what I'm listening to all the time. My music taste is stuck right there. I don't even know what came after that. Or don't care. It's probably for the best, honestly. It hasn't gotten yeah. much better. Yes. I think it peaked now. Yeah. All if anyone wants to do a podcast deep dive on a newfound glory, I'm here for that. Saves the day. Let's go. Let's go. I'm ready. <laughs> you should be on Mike Doyle's podcast then. I know. No, I'm not cool enough. He gets like uh, actual musicians, not just fans. Sad. Okay. I did my best. <laughs> Sorry, Andrea. What do you guys recommend to me? How about that? I'm always looking so, for recommendations. I, I um, There's a book that I gift probably more than any other book these days. Usually on audiobook, um, sometimes digitally, but I ended up getting a stack of paper copies of it. It's obviously very, very thin. I love it. But That's it's, um, my, ep- my style. Epictetus is the manual, a philosopher's oh, guide to life. It's very, very good. So when you think of like like Marcus Aurelius or Epictetus, and it's in yes. little snippets, it's kind of like if that dude had a Twitter account, and these are well, all like little advice, life aphorism tweets kind of thing. It's really good. I really enjoy it. You have my address, so I'll be awaiting my copy. Do you, do you like paper copies of books? Is that kind of yes. your thing? Or I love a book. 
I do. I do both. I like audiobooks, but when I can sit down and read a book, it's like a luxury. In audiobook format, when you put this at about you know two x pretty fast, you can rip through it in about twenty minutes, right? If you just really wanted to zip through it and get the information, but no, it's really thin. You can sit down for about an hour, really like take in a lot of it, highlight the good sections, and. It's really good. One of my favorites. Over. I was going to say at the start of this podcast, if anyone was listening at 2X, to go ahead and bump that down. Like you might need to slow it down to 0.5 because Lauren and I can really let loose. Let, <laughs> we sound like chipmunks. I know. We it's get not good. Touch there. Mm-hmm. I like to, Derek had the book ready. I don't have books ready, but from a podcast perspective, I like, I know much better than me, but Sometimes I also like to sort of check out from politics on occasion and I'm not a big murder mystery person, but there's this one called Rotten Mangoes, which has been very interesting to me. And she does a very, she does, um, she highlights and does like a very deep dive on like certain like prolific murderers and serial killers. And it's like actually kind of funny, which is, you know, maybe sick and twisted, but I think that's really fascinating. So I would say, I would give that one a try. I'm yeah, scared. I, I feel like there's some obsession with people knowing about murderers and I'm not sure it's, it's, it's interesting. I'm going to, I, 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 I don't want to listen to that walking around the block by myself. Checking behind my back. Like, well, I think it's because you're removed from the murder. Like you're intrigued by it because it's terrifying and you, you can learn about it and be removed from it without actually being in danger. You know, I think there's something, I think there's something there. And I'm currently watching the staircase on HBO max, yes. which is, about another murder, which is another murder, local to local to North Carolina. Wait, is that the is that the local one in Durham? The yes. Scott Peterson. Yeah, where he um, where yeah. allegedly, I guess he's convicted, so you can say his wife got pushed down Mike the stairs Peter. allegedly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Scott Peterson. Got pushed somebody else. I think it's Michael. Peterson. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Different murder. Um, Michael <laughs> That's Peterson. <a> different murderer. <laughs> This is taking this. You know what this feels like right now, and I'm so sorry because I know that I've totally derailed this. But this feels like a creative brainstorming meeting, whereas we all get together and we say, "Let's talk about this project." And then before you know it, it's we're not talking about that, but we're coming, we're having fun, we're talking about cool ideas, and eventually that idea will come to fruition. That's what's happening right now with, with this podcast. I feel this like is this a, is a taste. <laughs> this is a taste of what you would get with three post. Correct. This There's is another the good book, book that, re- that reminds <laughs> me of the same conversation. It's called Thinker Toys. And the big overlying concept is like when you're a child, everything's kind of fluid. But over mm. time, you start classifying things. Uh, machine learning models work this way too. But a baby will say food, not food. That's the first thing they start classifying. And it's like mom, not mom. And then they start like classifying things into more granular buckets. But if you think of that big pool of fluid, and then it gets frozen into these little ice cube trays. Over time, you start classifying things in such a way that it's hard to push them back together or push the unrelated things back together. And the creative process requires that, right? So it's all about how you take that ice cube tray, crack it, take three different cubes, melt them together, even if they shouldn't belong together, and use that as a starting point. And it's a pretty fascinating book. It's um, a little thicker than this but it's good. No, that's cool. And I think that kind of like hits on maybe what, like one of the reasons I like kind of like working in this field so much is that you don't really ever kind of get boring and you you don't, you kind of don't have to grow up. You kind of get to think like a kid all the time, right? Like you get to kind of throw all those ideas um, against the wall and like see what sticks. And that's kind of what's fun. I, you know, when there are days where I'm like, God, I 
I don't want to work. I don't want to work on that thing. It's always cool to kind of like take a step back and be like, I get to make videos. I get to come up. I get to write wacky scripts about talking light bulbs. Like, what am I saying? Why, why wouldn't I want to do that? And, you know, that's the great part about kind of working in this field and also working for myself too. I, think I love it. Seven-year-old you would be very proud of current you. <sighs> oh my gosh. I hope so. That's one of the nicest things anyone's ever said. Thank you. Wow, Derek, you somehow eclipsed me with one line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I actually had that I had that written down. I was just waiting to pull it out at the right moment. No, it is it is really cool because I wonder if like when I was seven, if you had asked me what I'd be doing, I just would never have guessed this. But um, you know, I it feels so good to just kind of be somewhere where I, I don't dread going to work every single day. I love it and um, get to create some fun stuff and meet some cool people along the way. I can't ask for more than that when, when you kind of just break it down to the most simplest form. That's, you know, it's great. Well, Andrea, this conversation took twists. It took turns. We talked over each other the entire time. I can't wait for us to edit this, but it was great having you on. I loved, you know, being able to chat with you because I'd be doing it anyway, but then we just threw a camera on and recorded it. So thanks for joining. And we'll put all the information. If somebody wants to find you, where should they go? Thank you. Yes, we are three posts across everything. So check us out on our website, threepost.com. That is the number three spelled out and then post like a fence post.com. I, I say that all the time because people constantly mess it up, including um, Wayfair customers, which is a whole nother story for a different podcast that we do not have time to get into today, but we are not the company three posts. We are three posts, no plural. Okay, you guys, threepost.com. Check us out on Instagram. Um, we don't post on there enough, but maybe one day. <laughs> three posts. When you have time, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Andrea, this has been a lot of fun. Um, so I'm fun. sure we'll talk to you at some point really soon, probably two of you even sooner, <laughs> but have a great right day. And this. thanks again for being on the podcast. <laughs>